Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Let me ask you a question. How does your favorite song make you feel? Music affects and changes people's lives. It invokes memories. The first gig you went to. The first record you bought. That song from your school days, or the song you danced to at your wedding, or even your first kiss. It gets you through the worst times and the best of times. Music has always played an important part in my life. First and foremost, I'm a music fan, but I've been lucky enough to have interviewed some of the biggest names in music, combining my career with my passion. Each week, I chat to some of my favorite artists to talk about the tracks of their lives and more. I'm Kylie Olsen and this is Music and Me. Now my guest this week was turned down by KISS when they were looking for someone to replace Ace Freely in the early 80s but that didn't stop Doug Aldrich. No, he went on to play guitar for Dio, Glenn Hughes and Whitesnake. After spending a few days with him and his latest band, The Dead Daisies, I caught up with Doug at his hotel in London to dig a little deeper into the music that's helped shape him to be one hell of a player. So, Mr. Douglas Aldridge, how are you? I'm great. All better for seeing you. Yes, thank you. So, um, last night at Coco, you did well. How, how was it for you? I, it, was, it was so fun. It was a beautiful venue. Um, apparently it's been there for a long time it, well mm-hmm. it looked like it but it was so it's so cool those those types of old theaters and um except when you're trying to navigate backstage yeah. you get lost but the show was great the audience was even better and we had fun it's our third show in so we we're still you know f- trying to figure it all out get it sorted but it was good in this podcast i like to talk to people about the tracks that have shaped your life for me as a kid my parents listened to a lot of Motown, so if, 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 if a Sam Cooke song comes on the radio, instantly I'm taken back to being a kid when my parents used to have parties and stuff like that. What is that track for you? There's, well, I mean, there's a lot of tracks, but I mean, what came to mind when you just said that was, was Maggie Mae by Rod Stewart. Just, it just reminds me of, you know, um, kind of summertime. I don't even know what year it was, but it was in the 70s, mm-hmm. I guess. But there's so many, you know, my, nobody, my family didn't have a record machine, a record player. We didn't, nobody was into music at all. I just liked it on the radio. I, I would listen to what, whatever was on the radio, pop radio. And then eventually, um, I, there was a group of guys, there was a little click gang of guys that I wanted to, to be friends with and be in the gang. And um, they said, well, you can be in the, I was the youngest and he said, you can be in the gang, but you have to go buy the new Black Sabbath single called Iron Man. So I tell my mom, can we go to the record store? I need to get, I want to, you know, be in this club and I need to get this single. So we bought Iron Man and, 
when you hear it, I am Iron Man. And that was like, that's awesome. So um, one of the things that I found so funny when I was reading up about you was that um, you auditioned for Kiss. Somehow I can just never imagine you being in Kiss. How did that come about? It came about because when I, I moved to Los Angeles and immediately there was a newspaper. I think you guys had something similar in the UK back before you were born, but it called, maybe it was called Melody Maker or something, yeah. or Sounds, one of those two. Yeah where they, people, musicians would put ads. And I, I found a guy, some guys looking for a guitar player as soon as I got to L.A. And we started doing cover songs. And then we started to, we wrote four or five songs just trying to did a cover thing, but also introducing our own music. It was a little band, it was called Fighter, mm-hmm. like Jet Fighter, or Fighter, if you, whatever. And we played this club called Gazzari's, and it was a famous club in the 80s, in the 70s and 80s, in, on Sunset Boulevard. And one day I was playing there with the, with the fighter guys, and a girl came and said, um, I think you're really good, I think my boyfriend's the drummer of Kiss, and I think you should audition. I said, what, why? And she explained that Ace was leaving. And I thought it was a joke. Mm. I didn't think anything. But two weeks later, we played there again. And... Had I not played there again, she, I probably would never would have heard from them. But she came back and she brought Eric Carr, who, yeah. So, and this was all weird because you know, um, I had to look at him twice because I didn't know if it was really him because I'd never seen him without his makeup. Yeah. And, and then he said, "I really, I think you're really good, and I would like you to come meet Gene and Paul. One of the, you know, I'm gonna set it up and I'll call you." So he called me one day on a Saturday and he said, I want you to come down tonight to meet Gene and Paul. We're in the studio at the record plant, which is a famous studio in LA, or was. And so I went down there and we, I think I was 18 at the time, and he said, you're a little nervous, right? I go, yeah, a little bit. And he said, let's go to this, we went in this bar and I did a shot. He, he bought me a shot. And I was like, okay. I never. I don't think I'd ever done a shot before. And really? Yeah. No, I would drink. You know, I drank yeah. beer, but I was lightweight. I was a cheap date, you know. But so we went, and I met Gene and Paul through the glass, waved, and I was like, wow, they're really, you know, so different without their makeup. Mm-hmm. And um, so we were in the studio, and and I was soloing on some tracks as a test, recording some stuff, and. And Gene goes, Doug, can you play for me a little more major, some more major notes in the solo? And I was like, major? What is it? I don't know what that is. He says, you know, do, re, mi, fa. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. So I immediately thought of, like, Michael Schenker would always mix in these kind of major pentatonic with minor pentatonic and kind of blend in between the two or play mixolydian mode. And... Um, so I did that, and he was like, yeah, that's cool. And he wrote down three songs and said, learn them, and then we'll, we'll jam. And we, we played a couple times, and it was, I mean, the whole story is, it, it gets more in-depth, and it's awesome. Basically, it was my first time to play through multiple Marshall amps. I had a stack. I had one stack. But this, when I jammed with those guys, I had four stacks. And what I take away from it, even though I didn't get the gig, I was just too young, you know, I was just... 
they knew it. I was just. Um, but what I took away from it was is that I got something going on, or else they wouldn't have brought me this far. So I started to really try to be more serious and better. Were you um, were you a shy eighteen year old kid, or were you quite confident and cocky and sure of yourself? I was very shy. I'm still a little shy. Mm. I, sometimes I can be confident, cocky um, in certain situations, but a lot of times I still feel like, okay, I'm just going to hang in the back and we'll see what happens. Yeah. But with that, um, it's sometimes good because you just really, when you're thinking a lot, you focus on what's important, and that's what I was doing at that time. It's just trying to, I wanted to learn how to write songs. Yeah. I still am trying to figure it all out. I get, you know, I meet people that go to that went to music college, and they can actually dissect any song that was written, and they can tell you why it works, and this is why it sounds that. This is why you get that feeling when you hear it, is because that chord came before that chord, and so it's all interesting to me. I'm just I got I'm a by the gut type of player and writer, and that's that's what I am. So, were you a Kiss fan? I mean, do you, what's what's your favorite Kiss song, and can you remember what song you played? I know what songs we played. We played their, one of their, it was like their Stairway to Heaven. It was called Black Diamond. Yeah. And I didn't know the song, actually. But, um, and we played Firehouse, we played Strutter. We, and then later when I played with them, we played Detroit Rock City and Dr. Love. And we were, there was one other one that we were going to do, but they, they stopped me at, at that point. And they wanted to come and watch me do a guitar solo. And I did it, you know. So, But anyway... Um, I was not really. I was. I was. I liked Kiss, but I wasn't a huge Kiss fan. Zeppelin was my was my band. So you were more into the British guys, which a lot of people were back, you know, during oh, that yeah. time. Deep Purple, Led yeah. Zeppelin, Jeff Beck was one of my first heroes. Peter Frampton, all British, and then Michael Schenker, a little German sauce yeah. in there. <laughs> so um, you've met Jeff Beck before, haven't you? Yeah. The the first time I met him. I went and saw him play with, I went as a guest with Carmine yeah. at a piece. Mm-hmm. And um, Carmine and I went and we, and we met some, met Billy Gimmons that night and Carlos Santana was on the bill, so I met him. That was cool. But I, you know, of course, Jeff was the one and I met him, just really shook his hand. He basically just shook my hand. That was it. And that was, that was it. And then I went back home and I'm in bed and, um, I'm in bed with my wife, my first wife, and Carmine calls me in the middle of the night sometime, and he's like, hey, Doug, what are you doing? I'm like, in bed with my wife, sleeping. He goes, well, Jeff's, Jeff's just come down to the bar. Why don't you come over, you know? And I'm like, okay. So I got out of bed, got dressed, and went to the bar and went in the elevator and with, met Carmine, and then Jeff got in the elevator, and, and he introduced me to, to Jeff, and I was like, yeah, really nice to meet you, man. He, he was... He didn't want to know, so I was I was just like, okay, that's all right. He was, you know, he was interested in other things, whatever. So I don't. That's that's as bad as it got. There's nothing bad about it. But then another time I met him with David Coverdale, we he invited David to come see him play in Reno, and uh, we went to the show. And I actually I brought my second wife to that show, and he David brought his wife, and we went backstage and. I was introduced to him again and he shook my hand and didn't look he looked at my wife and he went and talked to her and hung out and I'm like that's it? that's all I get? (laughs) so those are the two times I met Jeff 
but the the one that's that I met that's the the biggest hero of all that I've that was couldn't have been ever kinder to me was Jimmy Page. Okay, yeah. Jimmy's he and I I don't I'm not gonna say we connected, but I can say that he at least feels comfortable around me. Like I I realized by that time just be be yourself and and you know, leave it leave it at that. Actually, I want to ask you yeah. what your favorite Zeppelin song is. So, with, yeah. in reference to Jimmy, Jimmy being amazing on I, the song. If, that's a very, very difficult question. Mm. If I had to say, I might say, I might say, "Days and Confused," mm. one minute. I might say, 10 Years Gone," another minute. Um, I mean, they're all so awesome. Even some side B tracks like "Down by the Seaside" or "Levee Breaks." I mean, that. How are you gonna? Song remains the same. Where are you gonna? You can't do that to me. You're I can through the ringer. I see. I love a whole lot of love, and it's an obvious one. But when you listen to that, all the changes that happens in it and how it stops and starts is just. Oh. Yeah, that was a pretty, pretty amazing moment when I heard that for the first time, and all the psychedelic stuff that was going on in the panning when you listen to it in headphones. Yeah, it blew me away. So, Dio. Dio. He, I was, I met Ronnie in 1990, actually, and he asked me to join his band at that time, and I wasn't prepared to, I was in the midst of hoping that my band was going to make it, and we had signed a record deal that wasn't good, and, but I was hoping that we were going to be able to salvage the band and get onto yeah. a new label, because we had some good songs, and, but it didn't work out. And I told Ronnie no, and that was a missed opportunity, I think, in my life. But I don't have regrets. It's shaped, you know, everything that shapes you is good. But later working with Ronnie was, was I wouldn't probably have met you if it not for Ronnie putting me out there. Because I was content doing what I was doing at home. I was producing and writing and doing stuff in Japan. And um, But Ronnie was doing a record, and he wanted to make a, a record more like Holy Diver, you know. And so he asked me, he, he always, whenever I met him, was in a pub. So this is the second time I met him, and we went to a pub. It was the day after Christmas in 2002 or 2001. And he said, I want you to play a couple songs on the record. I'm like, no. And he goes, no? I said, no, either I'm going to play on the, I'm going to do the record, or I'm not doing it. You know, I'm not, not just going to play a couple songs. I'm not going to be a side man, you know, for this. And he goes, okay, start tomorrow. And I went to the studio on the 27th, and we started. And we had a blast. And working with Ronnie brought out the best in everybody. You know, he, he always would bring out the best. And he loved to rehearse. I'll never forget, we rehearsed for like a month before, before that, our first tour together. And he, lo- he was always the first one there and the last one to leave. And I, and I really respected that. And he pushed me so in such a great way to you know learn how to be comfortable on stage because I don't think I was before that working with Ronnie watching him do his thing it was it was good it's where you learned your trade do you, did you have a song that you liked playing the most with him yeah I, I would say well in the beginning um, Heaven and Hell was always a huge highlight because I, I bought that record when it came out and it was I thought I really liked Sabbath, but then I really liked Sabbath with Ronnie. Like, I know that you can't really compare it to apples and oranges, but 
that the, that record, Heaven and Hell record, is just so great. And that song summed it up. That was Ronnie's whole career in, in, in one song. It was awesome. When, when you think about like working with White Snake as well, did did you? I mean, was that an era that did you enjoy working with David Coverdale? After you, I mean, he's very different to Dio, isn't he? And he's yeah, yeah. like the he's vocally and almost probably how he works as well. Absolutely, they're like very opposite. Mm. In fact, you're right. And um, but I mean, I loved working with David. When I, you know, I learned so much from David about so many other things. He was equally as great a live performer, and he would command the stage the same way Ronnie would in his own way. And but I mean, he—it um, was just like for me the perfect fit because the band that I had that I basically had kind of um, passed with Ronnie the first time was basically like a uh, it was like a it was called Lion. It was like a White Snake wannabe band. I mean, it was the singer was British. He turned me on to all these old White Snake records that weren't famous in the U.S. And we were going to be the, the U.S. White Snake, you know. And then White Snake came out with 87 and crushed everybody. But then, you know, getting the call. I, first, we were, you know, I was with Dio and Scorpions and Deep Purple were, um, we were on the tour with them and Deep Purple and Scorpions were the headliners and they... Scorpions came to us and said, you know, next year in 2003, we're going to do a tour with Whitesnake. David Coverdale, John Sykes are going to reform the band. It's coming back together. We want Ronnie, we want you to do the same slot open, do an hour set. And Jimmy Bain and I remember we were just like, yes, that sounds awesome. And because we were having a great time with Deep Purple and Scorpions, it was a great tour classic heavy rock was coming back strong and this was 2002 yeah and then ronnie said nope we're gonna make a record and i was just like oh man i want to i want to tour with white snake you know well a couple of weeks later the deep purple guy said um hey you know you know that coverdale's been watching you right and i'm like what and then he called and he said i i want to meet with you i want to talk to you about and he said i said i'm, I'm you know no offense, David. I, I love your I love your work and I love the band, but um, if you've got Sykes, then you don't need me because I mean I'm Sykes and I are kind of similar in some ways, and I, I got a I'm the lead guitar player in Dio. I'm not gonna. He goes, no, I want you to be. I'm Sykes is not. He I want you. So I said, okay, well let me speak to Ronnie and figure it out. I think you know. He said, I'm just two month tour. That's it. And I said, I think it'll I think it can work out. And he said, well, Douglas, when you get rid of the word think, you call me back. <laughs> so I called him back after speaking with Wendy and Ronnie and like, yeah, we're, it's a go. And then he put the band together. He already had Marco and um, Marco Mendoza. And then we got Tommy involved. Reb came on and then the keyboard player. And then two months turned into 11 years and 30 songs written that and released together so we had a great run I was I loved it and you never went back to Dio after that then I did a couple guest Mm. stints with him we did um, in 2005 we did a a month or six weeks in Europe uh, including in at the UK at the old Astoria place we filmed a DVD called 
uh, Heaven, uh, Holy Diver Live. Yeah. It's called. Yeah. Was that was that the last time you played with him then? No, I I I played with him right before he found out that he got sick. Was he? I had gotten done with a tour with David in 2009, and Ronnie was wanting to gear up and do some U, some European dates, and asked me to to come. He had Rudy Sarzo on bass again, and. Um, we were going to do, like, I forget what it was, a five-week run or something. We got in rehearsal, and Ronnie was definitely ill. He was not feeling good. And um, he was in pain, you know. I could tell, and I, I definitely was the first one to say to him, Ronnie, you better go get checked out because you don't want to be in Europe and get a, a busted appendix or yeah. something. Whatever's going on, this is not good. Maybe you got an ulcer because he was always... But during that rehearsal, the last rehearsal we did together, he goes, guys, I got to knock it on the head. I got to go. I can't. It's just killing, it's killing me, my stomach. And then the, the, what really was not good was the last rehearsal before we were meant to get on the airplane. The last rehearsal, Simon said, hey, Ron's not going to make it today. He's going to go get some more tests done or whatever. But Wendy said for us just to, to go through the set, just do it. Just go through it. And I, I'll never forget going through that set without Ronnie. I was just like, this is, this is all wrong. And at the end of the rehearsal, Wendy came in and told us he had cancer, and that was it. And it just went downhill from there. He, we kept in touch via text, and then I heard that he was, he was they basically stopped everything, and he wasn't going to last much longer. And I was out of town. I, when I landed, I had come from Italy, that next day when I landed, my phone just went, and it was, Ronnie's gone. Did, you know, you know, you've lost someone like Dio that you were clearly very close to. Did that change anything for you? Yeah, um, well, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I still to this day, I picture him in that. He, he had a house in Encino, California, which is a very affluent area, but it was like, castle Uh, it was an english tudor house that with a round part i don't know what you call it it was like the man on the silver mountain it was his place and he loved to do the gardening he in the do the yard work in the garden and one day i'll never forget behind his house was this big hill and he wanted to put a gnome up on the top of the on the top of the hill to to um look over the house and protect him and stuff and something happened and he had him and simon were trying to put this gnome up on the hill and somebody slipped and the gnome rolled and hit Ronnie in the head <laughs> and I love he, that. Was, he was so pissed off at Simon oh you, you slipped how could you do it you know but and then Ronnie would throw these amazing New Year's Eve parties I mean it was like for me it was like super high end I mean you had valet parkers stuff I'm not used to you know and um, an open bar and everybody would be there all these you know musicians and actors and people and I, but it was just cool to because everyone was you know it was very joyous and mm. Ronnie was always you know serving drinks or or chatting or you know whatever it was just great but um but at least he's he's his music's still there for yeah, us exactly. and and now you get to be on stage with some of your old friends every night and that must be nice to actually be in a not that you weren't in a band with friends before but you, most of these guys that you're with now in the Dead Daisies, you've known them forever, haven't you? Yeah, we came up together, all of us. You yeah. know, we're all from the same t- time generation. Um, as as I've told you before, me and John knew each other since yeah. we were like 15 and 16. Mm. Um, 
in high school, and I was joking when I said that he made fake IDs. But I keep I keep rolling with that. Did he not then? No, he didn't. <laughs> I was joking. That's so funny. I thought you were yeah, I thought you were telling you the truth. No, it's because oh it fits God. his profile, doesn't it? Yeah, it does completely. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but no, I've known John since then, and um, and of course Marco and I were friends before White Snake actually, and. Um, Dean and I met a long time ago, and David and I, fast friends, you know, guitar players, mm. hanging out. And I have a, as I said, I have a really big respect for David. Not not because of his successes in business and stuff like that, but because of how hard he works to be a, a good guitar player. And he's got a very distinctive sound and style that really is an equal part of the Dead Daisy sound. I mean, it really is. He, and he's mm. he's very focused. So. Um, it's great, you know, yeah. working with these guys. And I've been, been my whole career, I'm a little bit of a late bloomer, as you would call it, I guess, but I'm just having a time of my life with these guys. It's great. When you think back to all the songs that you've written or worked on, all the guitar solos that you've created, what is your favorite? And what are they you're most proud of? There's two on the record called um, Good To Be Bad. It was the last track. It was the last song I wrote with David and I, I, there's an acoustic thing called Till the End of Time. And um, I don't know if you've heard it, but it's a really beautiful acoustic thing that's kind of, I was inspired by Jimi Hendrix, Hear My Train to Come, and just acoustic guitar and the voice. And then we went, we put a little production on it in the end, but it was an open tuning thing and it just had a great vibe. David and I, would, we'd watch westerns every night after we were done working. We'd always watch westerns and he, we'd sometimes sip on whiskey and watch it and pretend we were cowboys and stuff. But um, so this song kind of has a little bit of a bluesy western twist, and it's and it's lyrically, um, it's a love song. That's where, till the end of time, you know. I'll love you mm. till the end of time. I love you deeper than the ocean till the end of time, as long as the sun shines. And I had 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 a loss, like worse than than losing a friend. I had lost a baby. And uh, so that song, like, I couldn't, I actually was worried about how am I going to mix this song now that I got to hear it. Yeah. And it was, somehow I got it done, but I couldn't listen to that song for a long time. But I really, that song was probably the, the, the favorite. And then Forevermore, on the next record, was equally a funny, weird thing that happened was... You know, we were, David said, I, he said, we're done. We're done writing. Let's watch a Western. We watched, you know, Hang Em High with Clean East, Clean Eastwood or something. And I said, but, but DC, maybe there's one more song that we could work on. There's one more idea that I got. I really, I think, I feel like we don't have, we need a cornerstone track, something that's going to, that, you know, everything else yeah. revolves around. I feel like we got great stuff, but, and I said, he goes, no, we're done. I, I need to, he goes, Douglas, I need to put a goalpost. I'll never forget this. He goes, I need a, I need a goalpost. I can't keep going. You're killing me. You can't keep going. You've got to stop. I said, please, just will you listen to me with a clear head and heart? And he got really pissed off at me. He goes, when have I not ever listened to you with a clear head or heart? What are you talking about? I always listen to you. So I thought, all right. He says, tomorrow, I'll listen. So we watched the Western. And then the next morning, I played him the chords to Forevermore. And immediately he sang what would be the melody, and it was perfect. And I was like, goosebumps, you know. So that was a good one. And uh, 
but till the end of time would be my favorite. I will love you till the end of time. And I feel like we've talked a lot about death in this show, but um, I'm going to finish all my interviews how I finish all of my interviews um, and ask you what song would you like played at your funeral? Um, Killed by Death by Motorhead. <laughs> Just joking. No, I was trying to think of a de- death song. Um, at my funeral? I, I really don't know. I would say maybe, if it, I, I, would say I would love to have something like like uh, Stairway to Heaven or something mm. like that. Um, I don't know. Well, listen, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure as always. Thank you too. And we also want to dedicate our show last night to you because you made our day special. There's a lot of love going on here. I love it. Thank you. We brought it out of the darkness. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Finish on a light note. And she's buying a stairway. One of the nicest guys I've ever interviewed. And I'm still a little bit giddy after he said Dio would have liked me. I'm so gutted I never got to meet him. Now don't forget to subscribe to Music and Me so that you don't miss an episode. And you can do that via iTunes or Acast. Catch you soon. Music and Me is produced by the Podcast Works and Once on Media.